0: To one A podcast about education, teaching, and learning. Lord you have begot me, bred me, loved me. I return those duties back as a right fit. Obey you, love you, and most honor you. Why of my sisters husbands if they say they love you all? Happily when I shall wed that lord whose hand must take my plight shall carry half my love with him, half my care and duty. Sure, I shall never Sir, I trust
1: I may have leave to speak, and speak I will. I am no child, no babe. Your betters have endured me, say my mind. And if you cannot, best you stop your ears. My tongue will tell the anger of my heart, or else my heart, concealing it, will break. And rather than it shall, I will be free, even to the uttermost, as I please and worse. spot, out, I say. One, two, why then, tis time to do it. Hell is
0: murky. Fie, my lord, fie, a soldier and a feared... What need we fear, who knows it, when none can call our power to account? Yet who would have thought the old man to have so much blood in him?
1: I should not need, if you were gentle, Brutus. Within the bond of marriage, tell me, Brutus, it is expected. I should know no secrets that I pertain to you. Am I yourself, but as it were, in sort or limitation, to keep with you at meals, comfort your bed, and talk to you sometimes?' Dwell I but in the suburbs of your good pleasure? If it be no more, Portia is Brutus's harlot, you prick us, not his wife. Bleed.
0: If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? If we are like you in the rest, we will resemble you in that. If a Jew wrong a Christian, what is his humility? Revenge. If a Christian wrong a Jew, what should his sufferance be by Christian example? Why revenge? The villainy you teach me I will execute and it shall go hard but I will better the you can instruction to the last
1: Romans countrymen and lovers hear me for my cause and be silent that you might hear believe me for mine honor and have respect to mine honor that you may believe censure me in your wisdom and awake your senses that you may the better judge if there be any in this assembly any dear friend of caesar's to him i say that brutus's love to caesar was no less than his if then that friend demand why Brutus rose against Caesar, this is my answer not that I love Caesar less, but that I love Rome more.
0: Troilus had his brains dashed out with a Grecian club, yet he did what he could to die before, and he is one of the patterns of love. Leander, he would have lived many a fair year, though hero had turned none, if it had not been for a hot midsummer night, or, good youth, he went but forth to wash him in the Hellespont and being taken with the cramp was drowned, and the foolish chroniclers of that age found it was hero of But these are all lies. Men have died from time to time, and worms have eaten them,
1: but not for love. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often tarred with their bones, so let it be with Caesar." The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault. And grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here, under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man. So are they all. All honorable men. Come I to speak in Caesar's funeral. Hi there. Hey. Hey. Welcome. Welcome. To this version of the quarantine.
0: Yeah, the quarantine episode. Uh, Quarantine edition of our podcast. Very special. Um...
1: We're drinking this week to get through
0: aspects of the quarantine. What are we drinking?
1: We are drinking margaritas because we actually, just for the first time, picked up margaritas from one of our favorite Mexican restaurants yeah. in the to-go fashion.
0: This is a new thing that's happening because of the coronavirus. Ohio just passed a provisional law that allows places that have liquor licenses to provision sort of just temporarily sell mm-hmm. takeout to-go. To go beverages of an alcoholic nature yeah so they're like mixed drinks to go so we're enjoying the bounty of that we are, temporary and we're supporting lawn. local yes we want to support our local businesses during this time we're so trying. that's what we're doing we're trying really hard yeah uh, uh, just a quick note the all the episodes that you've heard up to now are recorded before mm-hmm. some of the serious lockdowns mm. and such took took place uh we're we're in like week maybe four of mm-hmm. self-quarantining yep. here in ohio so our governor uh is a little more aggressive than most about the quarantine procedure so we have been kind of locked in our house for probably a solid four weeks now so we hope you're all staying relatively happy and healthy out there um we know some people have been affected by this pretty seriously so we uh we will just want to caution you to stay inside and uh Ride this out with us and whenever possible support local I, small businesses. I saw a
1: post on one of the teacher groups I met mean, on Facebook that was like, This is what every group project feels like. Like, mm. some of us are doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and we have been quarantining, which you and I have been mm-hmm. like pretty seriously since mm-hmm. then. And then, you know, there's just like that one or two in the group who don't do what they should be doing, and they're going to ruin it for the rest of us. Yeah, we're not going to get baseball season until who knows when. So, yeah, I think the main issue is
0: just like, you know, if we do some of these restrictive things now pretty aggressively, we won't have to keep dragging out this quarantine for the rest of our existences here on this earth. That's the hope. So wash your hands. Stay inside. Help your elderly neighbors and friends. Yeah. However you can. Anyway. So yeah, first quarantine edition of the podcast, we're going to talk about something that is kind of just <laughs> fun for both of us to try to get our minds off of all of the more depressing parts of existing in this COVID-19 era. We are going to talk about today, teaching Shakespeare. Billy Shakes. William Shacklespar. Bill Shakespeare. Bill. My kids like to call him Billy Shakes. Willie. Big Willie style. Big Willie style. Well,
1: Shakespeare is something we both we love. We both love, but we love differently. I guess is how I would describe it.
0: I would say so, just based on our favorite our favorite Shakespeare play. We so don't overlap we're very, anywhere. We're very different in that. Who? What's your What's your favorite play?
1: I think it has to be Caesar.
0: Isn't that weird, guys? But my so love
1: weird. is like Taming of the Shrew. So I'm kind of in a tough spot. Okay. Okay. I've read Caesar more than I've read any other because I've read Caesar. Uh, I don't know, fifty times. Just teaching it, not including you know. Any yeah. Have you
0: read it that many times because you teach it? Yeah. Why? Because okay. I've
1: taught it every single year to at least three right. periods a day for seven years. Yeah,
0: I have no such attachment to any particular play, um, which is why I, mean, I
1: really like Othello. That's probably one I I should have. Yeah, assumed. I really, I really like Othello.
0: I do really enjoy Othello. That is for sure. That's a good one. Um, some of my favorites are ones that I was reading from at the beginning of the episode there, uh, my favorites tend to be Lear.
1: Here's your canon, I would I say. Really,
0: I really like King Lear. I really like Macbeth even mm. better than Hamlet, yeah, which everyone always gets that. mad at me for because they're like, no. Hamlet is the best, and I'm like... I like Macbeth better than Hamlet. I, I do, too, and I I I will say that there is... I'm sure there are measures by which you could say Hamlet is a superior play, but for me, for whatever reason, the tragedy that really resonates uh, the really the the murdery conniving tragedy anyway is Macbeth. Lear is also a tragedy, but it's it's more about mm, family struggles, I guess, I don't know. Um I also really like Merchant of Venice, and I adore Rosalind and as you Like it, so that's another one of my one of my favorites. So
1: I do love Lear. I'm just kind of thinking about it now that you're talking about it. But we've just like recently kind of gotten back into Lear though, also.
0: Yeah, it's always been one of my favorites, but we did watch the Anthony Hopkins oh, version so good. recently.
1: And um, we have the dresser to watch, which we haven't watched yet, but you've yeah, seen. Right. But right. I haven't. So we've got that on our list for the quarantine. Yep. Well yeah. why don't you tell me about like when did you start? Like how what was your introduction? Like what was it like? What's it feel like? Yeah,
0: I I can remember as far back as middle school, early middle school. At some point, reading probably abridged versions of I think we might have actually read Lear in like sixth oh my grade gosh, or something. That is not
1: appropriate.
0: Yeah, I no, it was great. It was it was it was a somewhat abridged version, so it wasn't <laughs> somewhat. abridged? That, I, I can't. What do you leave out? I honestly can't remember, but I just <laughs> I can't I, imagine. I do remember. Discussing how, discussing sibling rivalries and okay. how they can okay. be weird and stuff like that. So you know, there's a there's a way into it for
1: young people. No, no I know. I'm not trying to be dismissive. Um, I just mean,
0: but I'm pretty sure that was sixth grade-ish. That might have been Lear, and that might have been the first thing I remember. I mean, my parents are very theatery people, so we had it around yeah. and in yeah, the house you before had then
1: an earlier exposure than i did right
0: but that's the, in middle school we read that and i think in high school probably every single year in high school we read a at least one shakespeare play sometimes more than i read. only
1: read, read one in high school
0: oh that's oh, it. what was the one you read
1: what do you think what's everybody reading in high school
0: romeo and juliet year? i skipped that in high school thankfully because it's did one of my least, least favorite plays yeah. We well, read it
1: that, and uh, the only thing I really remember—I won't go too far into this—is <laughs> "Call the Wild." That also stuck out to me as a ninth-grade text. Jack London,
0: folks. Mm-hmm. Nothing like William Shakespeare, Mm-mm.
1: but Mm-mm. here we go. Those two things stick out about ninth-grade English, though. Is okay, what I, mostly I see. Meant. Sorry. I, see.
0: I remember in ninth grade, I we read uh, uh, "The Tempest" because I remember very distinctly some tenth graders in that class acting out parts of caliban and I, it was pretty funny but um you that, so that happened in ninth grade 10th grade i guess was caesar Probably right caesar it was caesar it's
1: pretty uh, stereotypically tenth yeah
0: grade. yeah and then after that when things happened it was kind of all a blur i we read hamlet we read macbeth mm-hmm. did you read lear I don't think we did in high school, but I Mm. might be wrong about that. Sure. Because I feel as though I would have loved it a lot if I had read it in high school. One thing that we've talked about on the show before is that Shakespeare is the only actually prescribed author Mm. in the Common Core standards for English. It's the only one that the Common Core says, hey, you need to teach this author. The Mm -hmm. rest of it is completely left up to teachers, the authors that they teach I don't disagree with that either. Like, let me just
1: be clear. Like, I'm going to hop on my English, you know, soapbox. But I agree with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the only one. So whoever decided to write the Common Core ELA standards was like, you know what? The one thing that we have to have in here that we make sure everyone Mm -hmm. knows Mm -hmm. is Shakespeare. Yeah. Kind of alongside of that, we've talked about this before, but it, it felt a little weird to read Shakespeare as a high schooler, and I'm sure that I wouldn't ever. I I would have been too <laughs> no. proud to admit this at the time, right? But it it it's it's so hard.
1: It's hard as an adult. It's so hard. I struggled with Shakespeare in my masters.
0: Right? Yeah. Me too. I I like it's
1: not easy stuff. It's not a one read kind of event. You know what I mean? Like when you talk about literature, like Shakespeare isn't something you read once and you're like, ah. I understand. Like, there's... You don't. Like, yeah. if you say you are, then, like, good for you. But I don't believe you.
0: And you really only have the chance to read it the one time in high school. And you kind of... You got to cram a whole lot of other things in. So you don't necessarily take the time with it that it probably deserves. Mm. But it it is really hard. And like I said, in high school, I would never have said this or admitted it. Or even necessarily been aware of it. But I didn't know what the heck I was reading. Oh, God, I mean, no. I I tried really hard. I tried really hard. But it is difficult and even in college i was like wow the experience of reading it in college was so much different and even in many many ways much better than reading it in high school because i finally understood even just kind of on the basic language like vocabulary level what i was encountering mm-hmm. in a way that i didn't in high school but even then it's still just like every time i read a play mm-hmm. my my mind is blown all over again by the density and complexity of the, the language and so it's yeah. You and I have talked about this separately, but a real issue for me with reading Shakespeare is it seems like there's a (laughs) there's a point that you have to get to where you just kind of understand what is being said before you can even begin to ponder big questions
1: about Mm -hmm. the text. You know, you just have to Mm -hmm.
0: you just have to understand what they're saying before you can even
1: think about. I always tell my kids when we do Caesar because I teach Caesar to my tenth graders. I always tell them that, like, we kind of have to do this in a couple of ways. Like, we're, in some ways, we're reading a different language. Like, how you and I speak and how my 10th graders speak and how William Shakespeare writes, okay, are not the same thing. So we have to treat it as a text in general that we sort of have to decipher and to, you know, pull out vocab and things like that. Like, it's not so simple as just, you know, a lot of other texts. Like, if you don't, if your vocabulary isn't there, you're not going to understand Shakespeare quickly or easily, and that's what I think is so difficult about him on my end is in the teaching of it. That's where I have the hardest time. And that's why it takes me the longest to teach Caesar. I mean, I take a whole nine weeks to teach Caesar mm-hmm. just because it, it takes so much effort to get yeah. us through it.
0: Why don't you talk a little bit about how you go about teaching, I guess, Caesar and other Shakespeare. Just Just kind of outline your general process for Um, that and uh, the age group of your kids are mostly this is mostly 10th graders. yeah so
1: I I only ever taught Taming of the Shrew one year it was my very first year of teaching it was the 12th graders and the reason that I chose it not only because I had a classroom set but my bachelor's thesis was in Taming of the Shrew so it's a play that I know and that I love and I felt really confident as a first-year teacher to tackle during my student teaching, I actually got the chance to co-teach Caesar. And that was my first experience with it. I never read it. I didn't read it in my undergrad. I didn't read it in high school. But I read it with my co-teacher, who was incredible. And I love Caesar. And my textbook that I still have is the same one I student taught with. And it's the same one I had in high school, actually, as a 10th grader. Caesar was in it. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Like, I'm fresh and comfortable with it. Um, what I have found in teaching Caesar is that we almost have to put it into the terms that I don't want to say they strip the meaning of it, but that they they definitely aren't hinting at the seriousness of it. But like with Caesar, I can hint at or I can touch on these things of like envy and things like that and what it feels like when you don't trust your friends and what it feels like when you trust someone and they hurt you. And so not that that's what I can boil Caesar down to, but that if you can put them in terms of a teenage relationship and their understanding of like friendship then we can start to kind of identify like this, the struggle between Cassius and Brutus and Caesar and Mark Antony and to say like, who's this in this friend group? Who is this in this friend group? We don't like, you know, name names, but it's a really, it's the most manageable way that I've found to get kids to digest Caesar. And then from there, once I've gotten kind of that kind of thing out of the way, like once we're able to say like, hey, we're dealing with backstabbing literally figuratively we're dealing with you know these complex things then I can build on it but until I've got that stuff kind of laid out I can't do much with it I
0: mean I think it's kind of interesting that you laid out that way because my experience in teaching Shakespeare is a little less formal than yours but I've I've run seminars with high school students with college students and then with adults a uh, kind of mix of business leader type people and then like retired adults or a couple of different all kinds of different scenarios where i've led seminars on caesar and i found or sorry on shakespeare led seminars on shakespeare and i found that the way into it for all of those groups is very similar to what you just described you
1: have to because well, we're humans right it's our language well
0: it's because it's because because the vocabulary is so foreign you have to to help them understand why the thing they're reading is
1: mm-hmm.
0: indeed very revealing sure. in terms of the way they live their lives. Yeah. You have to guide people from this is archaic language that I don't understand to, oh, I've actually lived through this kind of experience and this is yeah. why it's important to think about. You got you to gotta kind of start from a point of inviting them into the conflicts of the story that they can't instantly see themselves sure. so teaching Shakespeare well, is really about kind of guiding somebody from point a which is total confusion about mm-hmm. the language they're experiencing to you know point whatever where they've yeah.
1: related to the story on a on a very well, human level but like anyone can identify with the themes of Caesar and so I think in my limited teaching of other Shakespeare I would assume like I I actually thought this year I might teach King Lear to my 12th graders and then we were Taken out of school, and I don't really feel like I can tackle Lear from a distance as well as I could have you know on a day to day basis, but that's where you have to start, and so I think that's I think that's what sometimes people kind of i don't I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or if it's an intimidation factor, but people are afraid of Shakespeare, and I don't know if it's because it hasn't been broken down into these like you know really digestible ideas. Or if it's just because of the language barrier itself. But as soon as you start talking to kids, especially teenagers, has your best friend ever done something? Like, they're like, let me tell you about so-and-so on Instagram. You know, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's really quick and they feel it. And also, I could get on my Caesar soapbox forever, but they're, it's sarcastic. And teenagers like sarcasm. The wit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, they pick up on that, like, quicker than I sometimes give them credit
0: I think another thing that is a bit of a a roadblock with Shakespeare is that Shakespeare, the man, the myth, is so monolithic that people kind of write it off as something that almost is kind of trite in some weird shared cultural understanding way. They're like, oh yeah, Shakespeare, okay, great playwright, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, And this is actually especially, I think this is more acute with adult learners that I've taught with these plays. They think... They know things because everybody knows about Shakespeare, right? Like everyone's heard the name Shakespeare. So it's really difficult to kind of break down preconceptions about Mm -hmm. texts like that when people think they are Mm -hmm. already experts on it because they have, you know, read Romeo and Juliet in high school. Or whatever it is, it's it's really difficult to. I'm not know. an expert. Let me be honest. Well, no, no, no I don't, it's very <laughs> I difficult. Should, to I be. should
1: be open with everyone listening. I I'm not an expert, but yeah. I do love him. I
0: mean, I I just think I think that that is a challenge that, and again, I've noticed it more acutely with adult learners because adult learners feel like they have, especially in seminar type environments, which is kind of my specialty. Um, adult learners feel like they have more to lose because they don't want to be the ones who don't know something, mm-hmm. and especially with Shakespeare, who everyone feels like they're supposed to know because it's yeah. Shakespeare. Not weird. Um, you got to break down barriers more aggressively and more quickly with adult learners sure. because you don't want to preempt learning that could happen because people think they know things already. So it's um, and again, I don't. That's not to say that when I come in, I as a facilitator think that I'm the one who does know things. It's not that at all. It's just that. We've got to get out of the way really quickly. <laughs> this notion that any of us uh, know things, and we kind of start from a from a bit of a blank slate and move forward from there, and it makes it much more constructive when people aren't bringing what they think is their kind of their their little small town expertise to the to the big kid's table um, to show it off. So it's a hard one to overcome and i can imagine it kind of happening in a similar way but probably more understated in in high school um Mm. just that you know like oh yeah okay well yeah shakespeare he's a famous guy blah blah
1: yeah yes and no maybe i I, i've definitely had some kids who come in been like oh, I read Hamlet by myself. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what's it about? <laughs> like, I mean, and to be fair, if I was a ninth grader, what, like, you know, reading Hamlet, I wouldn't have gotten the things that, you know.
0: Right. And well, that's I've, the thing you say to try to prove your worth. It is. Right?
1: And so that's fine. And, like, in today, like, I already, I came into this episode knowing Chelsea was going to talk way more about this kind of stuff than I am because your love of Shakespeare is greater than mine, even. So you're like the resident Shakespeare expert at the table right now, mm-hmm. which I love because I'm just going to sit here and do this margarita. But I think if anyone wants to tackle Shakespeare, right, like even adults who may be in quarantine are like, man, what else can I do? I have finished Joe Exotic's Netflix special. If you can just break it down into like these, and I don't want to keep using themes, but like that's what they are, like it's it's humanity like all of these stories of his right like we can boil them down to sisters or relationships or you know things like that so
0: yeah I do want to add that I think that maybe as you become more familiar either as a student of or a teacher of Shakespeare it kind of circles back around to where you started so you, you, you start in a point of confusion because of the language mm-hmm. and then you reach out into these deep themes that yeah. you're talking about and then I think after you've reached out and sort of connected with some of those teams, mm-hmm. then you can circle back to the language that caused yeah. you confusion in the beginning, yeah. and you can really enjoy it on a totally different level. Yeah. Once you understand the basics of what even is going on mm-hmm. um, and how you can, you know, as a contemporary learner, how you can process, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on, then then you have what I think is... a really cool opportunity to go back and enjoy the language for the language's sake which is completely different which you can't you can't do at the beginning which maybe is no. where some people stumble a little bit in either teaching or learning shakespeare is that mm-hmm. the assumption that you can just relish in this language immediately and it's not well you know in high school that was kind of expected me a little bit like of me like oh look at this beautiful beautifully written thing you know this sonnet, this monologue this whatever it was that shakespeare mm-hmm. wrote and it's just like i'm like uh i don't even know what he's saying <laughs> i'll pretend like it's really meaningful and beautiful yeah. but but you gotta you gotta do a lot of work that sometimes requires you to just sure. live life first you know well, and to also- maybe experience love or loss or profound sadness before you can tap into a lot of these things so it's difficult to ask that of young people well the thing though that
1: i don't think we haven't brought it up yet but is really really important is that we're also talking about a history in a lot of his plays right like caesar historically like i don't even touch with my kids like the history of the things surrounding caesar except for like a quick 15 minute intro video that just kind of sets the scene for you know um Pompey and like Caesar and like the the warring and you know that kind of stuff so that's the other thing that separates people from it is not only is it this language we don't know but many people aren't familiar with that history yeah you know I love history and that's not a part of history that I'm like eager to read
0: about and with Shakespeare it's actually a two-toned problem because often his plays are sort of weird mirrors into the parallel universe of his current political climate so sure so he's writing a play about you know caesar and mm-hmm. poppy and rome or whatever mm-hmm. but it's actually maybe sometimes a commentary yeah i mean he's doing the same thing as arthur miller with things. the crucible in the salem witch trials right mm-hmm. right
1: so destroy the red scare but it's set in salem yeah.
0: yeah so he's making a commentary on a modern political moment modern to him um and, and so and us today know, are like, uh huh. Yeah, you gotta you gotta put through the filter of like, uh we read Troilus and Cressida in college, and it was like it's about ancient Greece, and he's making jokes about books that weren't written until a couple hundred years after it. And, like by, I think it's either Plato or Aristotle, I forget. Um, it, it, one one of the people in in Troilus and Cressida is reading one of those philosophers who didn't come until hundreds of years after time of the play <laughs> and you wouldn't you would
1: have no idea oh he does that with clocks right. as well and yeah Caesar. clocks, and yeah, Caesar he does clocks did not exist sorry i was having a hard time um yeah he does that a few
0: these weird anachronisms so yeah he does like, that a lot <laughs> the, he puts things that don't belong mm-hmm. in the historical periods where they are yeah. and then he also is using historical yeah. periods to make commentary on present day england or whatever it is mm. um and, and it's just you, you can't you can't begin to tap into all of those layers of this stuff unless, you, unless you're pursuing, like, like doctoral work in, in Shakespeare. It's just the, the stuff that you unlock. But, I mean, again, the, the stuff that you unlock as you return to these plays over time, which i highly recommend that people do if they're able to, is just like, you know what? It might have seemed really weird and foreign and boring in high school, but maybe go back to it now and mm. it'll seem probably really different. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for most or find readers. a great version
1: to watch which is what i recommend <laughs> yeah yeah
0: this, this is kind of another one of the questions that we have is like the best way to uh, especially for kind of middle school and high school mm-hmm. mostly high school and or maybe even college age groups like what's yeah. the best way to have them encounter a text that is primarily that was that was meant to be performed yeah um it's kind of like taking a picture instead of a video of something you know it's like that's that's what it's like to read a play read a text that was meant to be performed um i struggle with thinking about how to best first present a text that is not familiar to most people when that text is a play it's like should we show them a, a you know a performative interpretation of this should we just have them read it first mm-hmm. um you brought up a concern with sh- with
1: showing yeah. performance. I don't first. in all of the plays, dramas that I teach, I show them after. I don't show them anything before because I want them to come into it with a clean slate. But high schoolers also, if they can watch the movie, they're gonna go watch the movie and not do any of the reading. So if I do that first, I've already lost them to get any sort of deeper, you know, more relevant discussion out of it. In my experience. That mm-hmm. isn't to say it can't be done, but in my teaching career, that has not been the best practice for me and my kids, so I haven't done it. Yeah, um, but Which I think to me, that's
0: that's a big bummer to me because I would love to be able to show people a performance first and then have them do a deep dive into the text afterwards. But like you're saying, yeah, I mean, but experience shows that.
1: You're... <laughs> what you want to happen though is a higher level of thinking than most home graders are eager to. <laughs> perform i suppose i should say but we're also talking about um, shakespeare is not something that a 10th grader gets excited to read (laughs) so if i have forced them through three days let's call it of who knows what version of caesar i could find i'm probably not going to keep them you know their attention very long because they're going to be like oh yeah and then he dies and like that's going to be it like we're talking about different kinds of learners here like me and you like if we went into learning a new shakespeare or whatever repeating shakespeare or something that would do something for us, but like not all of my 10th graders are capable of that type of learning, I guess is what I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's where I find the disconnect to be. Yeah. That isn't to say that's not a great way to teach it. In my experience with college prep, not the best move for me personally. What wasn't the best move? To have them watch it first and then read it all out. Loud. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I, I read. Shakespeare aloud with him like Caesar I do every single day in my class we read aloud we take parts like it's a very involved experience Mm. I don't do all literature that way but I do you know Caesar that way so
0: yeah I I think I and I totally understand the concern and I can totally see where if a high schooler thinks they've processed the text because they've seen it in a performance a taped performance then they think they're done and they don't need to do further work on it especially without much extrinsic motivation to do a deep dive. I I think it's, I think it's difficult to motivate people. I I just, I do feel though, that there's something, there's something that's lost that can only be gained when you see a performed, a performance of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Um, But a the concern, good performance yeah. well, of Shakespeare. I was just going to say the You're concern... You're being too broad again. No, no, no. The concern that I do have with with my take that it might be nice to show performances first is that it is easy to find bad performances of Shakespeare. I've seen <laughs> I would some, say there
1: might be more of those than good. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. Statistically,
0: there are probably way more bad performances of Sha- Shakespeare than good. I'm having so a hard time recalling a lot of good ones right other, now. But the other thing is that even if it's a good performance of Shakespeare... It might be a good performance of Shakespeare that interprets a particular character in a really particular way that you don't necessarily want somebody... I mean, the the example that I always think of is, is Shylock in Merchant of Venice, and a lot of performances of Shakespeare have him as this crazy, ranting man who he, it's difficult to be sympathetic with. He's demanding his pound of flesh and uh, a sort of retribution for a wrong that was done to him, and he's just... In in many performances of Merchant of Venice, he's just this ranting, angry guy that you can kind of write off. But when I, I saw a performance of of Merchant where Shylock was portrayed as being sympathetic, and and that particular performance of that character is kind of the only way that I can read that play now and process it. I can't I can't interpret Shylock any other way, which in a way is limiting, you know, if I'd never had, if I had never seen that, then, then maybe I could kind of consider both ways of portraying him, but mm-hmm. having seen one that was so, uh, seen a performance that was so good and so solidified in a particular interpretation of how to do Shylock, um, it would be really difficult for me to, mm-hmm. to kind of accept some of these other ways. So I, I think that it's, that's, that's a hard thing. Cause even, like I said, even when they're good performances, they might cut off some ways of thinking about plays, especially for younger students. They might, you know, kind of prematurely come to the conclusion that this is the way that it has to be because of a particular performance that they saw, mm-hmm. which I think would be too bad. But it's just it's just a lot to ask of anyone on a on a good day, which is one performance. So,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't love Hamlet nearly as much as I love Hamlet now until I saw it done when hamlet was a female lesbian at agecroft in uh richmond and it was so cool like it totally changed you know what i mean mm-hmm. like not that that's how it's intended but that's that's an example of how you know these impre- interpretations can and do sometimes shift the mm. you know like hamlet i mean it's obviously beautiful i'm stupid if i'm not sitting here you know gloating about it but like I, I'd never had this, you know, really strong attention, like, mm. or, you know, like affection for it. Like, I never felt, gave it that much of my time or attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, man, this is such a cool version. Like, I have so much more interest in it now. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's good drama. That's not always the case. <laughs> that's yep. the problem. Yep. <laughs> so that's, I guess, for me as a teacher, I have a hard time uh, showing them at 1st mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. probably more harm than good that can come of that now like other students different classes probably much different but for me my kids that would be best right now
0: how do you generally uh, evaluate kids on their their understanding of shakespeare great question
1: no i mean with shakespeare we talk a lot about um conflict obviously So a lot of the evaluations I do of them is based on their writings um, about the types of conflicts. So we're talking about like internal, external, like all of that kind of stuff. So when the kids can identify, in my belief of teaching Caesar, if my kids can identify Brutus' inner conflict and like why conspiring against Caesar was hard but the right thing, that tells me a lot about their understanding of it. Um, if they're able to tell me that Mark Antony is sarcastic in the funeral speech, that tells me a lot about their interpret. You know what I mean? So I do it a lot more in those types of ways than it is like, I don't know. I, I, it's more writing based for me. Now that doesn't mean that the test isn't also just like checking to make sure they've been reading and keeping up with me and things like that. But as far as the actual test goes, it's, it's weighted towards the writing portion and that's based on the conflict. So if you can tell me about the conflicts in Caesar, you understand Caesar. That's all there is to it. Like in my mind, that's the that's the that's the piece. Yeah,
0: I wonder how your uh, your answer might change on a, in a in like a, a lighter play, like a comedy or something. Oh, it'd be totally different. Yeah. So how how might you evaluate a, a comedy or a problem play or something like that? Mm, like with Taming of the Shrew, maybe. Yeah, just something that's um, not obvious, not so obviously driven by conflict I, in that way.
1: I, base a lot of my evaluations of students um, based on character development and their understanding of the complexities of characters and so that's usually kind of what I resort to because what I found is that if students can tell me about characters and like what makes them tick and what makes them crazy and so like Catherine of cannot stand this who will not leave her alone and stop calling her the wrong name right like that's what we're getting at like he keeps calling her Kate and she can't stand it but if my kids can tell me why that bugs her, they understand it. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be so simple. Like, I'm not, you know, Caesar isn't, I don't know. But if you can get a teenager to tell me why does Catherine hate being called Kate so much by this guy she doesn't like at first, you know. Kiss me, Kate. Yeah, she doesn't like that. It doesn't go well for for a true show. But that's fine. You know, but but that's also how I teach most of my literature, not just Shakespeare. Um Mm -hmm. because like I said I mean I and we might have talked about this a little bit I wasn't I'm not a good test taker I've never been a good test taker now as an adult I know that I was probably suffering some from some pretty severe test anxiety but I could have written a lot of things that I couldn't maybe have chosen as a you know multiple choice or matching so I try to give my students a lot of those chances Mm -hmm. um just as a safety net but that's also why I focus so much on the characters themselves, because I feel like if you can identify the characters and understand them, you're going to understand it. Like, Yeah. One thing that I've found is a kind of useful tool
0: for evaluating where people are in their understanding of Shakespeare is to have them come up with questions about the text that they think are important to ask. I mean, and usually this is kind of like a essay or writing based exercise, but Having them come up with their own questions and sure. then answering them by means of the text
1: right but um but if yeah they're... i do that but the kids just ask me for the answer instead. well yeah <laughs>
0: that's high school in that nutshell hey miss day why does a <laughs> i mean uh, a lot of the success of that exercise depends on people understanding that there isn't necessarily a right answer mm-hmm. um but just you can kind of judge where somebody is in their understanding based on this sort of question that they ask about mm-hmm. uh, the text. Yeah. Um, so that's another useful kind of way in, in terms of
1: evaluation that I've found over yeah, the years. Yeah, And I think I, this is kind of, I don't know as an educator, I hear this question or this statement all the time, but like they don't know what they don't know. So they don't know what to ask. And that's what I see happening a lot of times with Shakespeare. It's like they don't even know what to start to ask to understand it better because he can be so intimidating. But I I like that line of thinking. I could do that with my seniors. The question and them answering it. Like that's definitely yeah, like something I mean, more like suited said, for I, them, I think. I, I, than, mean, I think
0: your ability to ask a good question changes and develops over time. It's not something mm-hmm. that comes out of the box and just like our understandings of Shakespeare evolving over time and how I felt like I thought I knew some things in high school but having read it in college I was like okay I was a clueless adult at the time and you know when I read it now I feel like why did I think that in college that was dumb you know so it's like I think you gotta kind of take that into any kind consideration of how to evaluate somebody's understanding of Shakespeare but uh, but I do I do like um I do like peering into somebody's soul by asking them to come up with their own questions that they'd mm-hmm. they'd want to pursue about yeah. a text or something but so yeah i just with more difficult things that have more difficult language more impenetrable language on first glance i that's that's always been a useful tool for evaluation for me so sure let's talk about some of the resources that we've used mm-hmm. over time to help us when we are teaching or reading shakespeare because there are a lot of cool ones out there. Yeah, but.
1: there's... Oh my gosh, there's so many resources. You could drown in them, practically. But for me with... And this is true for a lot of things that I teach. I try to give some historical context to whatever we're reading. Just to kind of help put the kids wherever we are. I use a lot of John Green and his brother Hank Green. Uh, their YouTube their YouTube channel called Crash Course. And so this is also fun. They, John Green does an incredible video um, for the Roman Empire. But... Also, John Green took a quote from Caesar uh, to name probably his most famous book. So that's also one of the reasons I like it so much. Is because South. The Fault in Our Stars mm-hmm. that we are the undoings. So I like Crash Course. I would recommend Crash Course for any type of learning. I use No Fear Shakespeare, which is um, ran by my student's best friend SparkNotes. And No Fear Shakespeare is a side-by-side reading. It's free online. You can order the book on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Um, I have a ton of versions of No Fear Shakespeare for all of his works. But like I said, it's side-by-side. And so when we get to the funeral speeches, I read each funeral speech just so they can hear it once all the way through. And then I have them all get on a Chromebook, check out No Fear Shakespeare, and then we read the common day translation of it Um, just as a way to really, you know, like those funeral speeches are critical I try to highlight a lot of um the bigger like Cassius some of his big things mm-hmm. um with No Fear Shakespeare
0: yeah there's something a little bit similar although a bit more academic-y feeling that I've used in the past and that's the the RSC the Royal Shakespeare Company's complete works of Shakespeare that's one of the editions of Shakespeare that I have it comes with it's got all the plays in the sonnets too I think but it comes with before every play there's a short kind of very short essay on it then there's a box that has kind of key facts and then like the key facts it talks a bit about just kind of a plot overview and then it tells you the breakdown of speaking parts the percentages of speeches like so who speaks like 22 percent or 11 percent or whatever based on the character tells you the linguistic medium of the play which is kind of interesting the percentage of verse and prose tells you dates of publication sources and kind of stuff about the text the original text and it So it gives you this high level breakdown. And then the RSE also has notes, sort of vocabulary notes running along in the footers of each page. So this is more kind of not necessarily for students to share with them, but for probably for us as people who are teaching this kind of stuff just to help us because we have limited time in the day to go look things up. Um, It's a really useful, Mm -hmm. complete works publication, so if you can get your hands on the RSC one, I'd highly recommend that. It's probably my my favorite way to read Shakespeare. And we also both talked about um, resources from the Folger Library, the Folger Shakespeare Library. They've got a lot of stuff online. A lot of it's free to help in the the teaching of Shakespeare. One of the things that we've both talked about, too, is the Folger Shakespeare Library. They have a lot of interesting resources for teachers online.
1: Yeah, and I, if you, especially if you teach English, obviously, this is more for you, but I attended uh, the National Council for the Teachers of English this past November in Baltimore, and they had a, a table there, and they're super nice people. And um, they had a lot of really, really great resources that you can find online as well in teaching Shakespeare. Um, and they're eager to to have Shakespeare be taught. So I would really recommend their stuff. And they were super fun to talk to.
0: It's and a really cool
1: venue. Too. It's, yeah. The theater is amazing. Yeah. So
0: I've been lucky enough to, I saw a fellow at the Folger, and it was yeah. really great. Really, really cool. But I mean,
1: to hear them talk, they're very eager to, you know, support teachers in teaching it. So. I would if you're especially at a conference or something like that and they're there. And especially if you're an English teacher, they there are a lot of places. I mean, they they really go where we are. So definitely seek them out because you're gonna get a ton of stuff, ton of ideas, and you're gonna have a really nice conversation. So I really recommend Folger. And then tell me about this this pop-up. My my students love this. It was a former teacher who's since retired, one of my mentors. She gave me when she left teaching a pop-up book of the Globe Theater. And it's probably like a foot tall when it's open wow it is so great and my kids love it and i have like a little william shakespeare figurine and so like they go together obviously but my kids just love it I, i'll try to find a link to include to this thing because it's beautiful yeah, we'll stick it in the show notes but if we can find it you know we would be horrible <laughs> if we didn't include the globe theater in this somewhere so it's a really cool way to honor the theater um and it's really interesting history and i mean who doesn't love a pop-up book it's still one of my favorite things <laughs> cool all right, we're at the part of the show where it is
0: time to involve you, listeners, in our in our little podcast venture. It's it's time for the fill in the blank segment. Are you ready for this? This is where this is I where, am ready for this one. Yeah, we're we're pumped. Um, we had a kind of a tie with our last episode. We had we, did. we had two listeners write in with the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Um, two but,
1: of my favorite people. Yeah,
0: yeah. Shout out to our friends who wrote in. Um, <laughs> we we are going to be sending out stickers. To, to both of those people who wrote in. So if you're ready, here comes the next question. All you have to do is write in um, to hello at 16to1.com email address. Just send us an email or you can find us on anywhere on social media and drop us a line there too. But just write in, tell us the answer to the following question and we will send you a sticker for the show. What's, what's the question? You want to read it? What is the name of the
1: acting company to which Shakespeare belonged for most of his life? The acting company. Mm -hmm. What acting company did Shakespeare belong to for most of his life? Mm -hmm.
0: All right. That's the fill in the blank for this week. Go ahead and reach out to us on any social platform or email us, and we will send you swag. We can't wait to share these with everyone. So please, please email us. Yep. We have a huge pile of stickers, and we need to get them out into the world.
1: Okay. What did you learn this week?
0: What did I learn? What have you learned since our quarantining? Yeah. Quarantining. We just say that we've Probably not learned as much as we usually would because we've been had a very limited scope of <laughs> <laughs> the world, which is the world inside this house has been the world that we have seen. So, so we haven't had as many learning opportunities as we normally would maybe because we are not talking to very many other human beings we're and not. we're not traveling anywhere. And so we're not. It's just it's limited. But we talk okay. to the dog a lot so so yeah the dog really appreciates our company she's so done with this the cat's even more done animals are done
1: <laughs> other we're humans done. are
0: done we're we're all done in this quarantine we want to see our friends again yeah but I did learn something and that's that this week yet another press secretary uh, resigned or left <laughs> or was fired or some combination of those things but I she got th- a new job yeah she went back to her old job actually but <laughs> never mind she the, got her old job she got her old job <laughs> But without going too much into the politics of any any of that, what I what I did learn, and I guess I wasn't aware of this because I don't follow it, was that th- this current press secretary n- never held a press conference. <laughs> it's like in which the is title,
1: basically the job description of the press secretary. <laughs> What's she is been to, doing since last summer? Y- yeah,
0: last summer she came out like June or July or something. Yeah, we just... looked it up, but Stephanie Stephanie Grisham is her name, but she departed. The press secretary's office, without ever having held a press conference, we're we're starting to watch, um, Kate and I are watching the West Wing right now. We just started, mm-hmm. and uh, CJ is our favorite press secretary of all time, but it kind of makes us lament the days when press secretaries could give coherent press secretary. You forgot Sean Spicer. Oh, Sean Spicer. <laughs> RIP. Well, Dancing with the stars. Sean Spicer.
1: What I learned is kind of actually in the same vein a little bit. So
0: couple Do things. Do
1: tell. We've been binge watching just like everybody else. Um, I have a couple of recommendations if that's okay. I would like to just throw out if you're looking for something great or okay, whatever. We really like The Life of Madam C.J. Walker,
0: just mm-hmm. on Netflix mm-hmm.
1: with Octavia Spencer. Great. Well, it's called Self Made, right? Self Made. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But it's her life of, the life of Madam C.J. Walker. Really interesting portrait of a woman I had never heard of. Yeah. Who was a- Maybe the- She's credited as being the first um, black millionaire, female millionaire, female millionaire. Yeah, yeah. and uh, great show. Really interesting, very work. digestible.
0: An interesting point in history an interesting mm-hmm. point in business for women. Yeah. All I like kinds that of stuff going on. It's really short. It's only about four episodes. Maybe. I think it was four or five. Yeah, four or five episodes, and it's you know less than an hour each. You can do each, it in sure. a day. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did it in a day. As <laughs> Especially we all do. in the
1: Corona times, you can do it in a day. So <clears throat> uh, we like that. Yep. We liked uh what we like so far is uh Little Fires Everywhere, which is on Hulu. Yeah, it that show weirds me out a little bit, but I like it, I think. And you know, by the time this comes out there'll be an additional episode, but we like what we've seen so far. It's Carrie Washington, who we love. From Scandal. Who we couldn't love more. an really. American
0: son that we saw. We
1: saw her live on Broadway. Incredible. We were like ten rows back from Carrie Washington sweat. It was so close. Um and Reese Witherspoon, who I love. So, anyways, those are two good recommendations. But my what I learned, one of the first things that we binged was Designated Survivor, which was Kiefer Sutherland playing the Designated Survivor. The president. It's on Netflix. Yeah. And I actually, in my government class, I missed this somewhere, but I didn't realize when they held the State of the Union that there was a Designated Survivor. And so the whole premise, not to give it away, is that Kiefer Sutherland is chosen as a Designated Survivor uh, during the state of the union yeah. there's an
0: attack he's the only one who survives the, uh, the mm-hmm. attack and he becomes the president yeah. because he is the designated survivor yeah very interesting yeah i did have to learn that in government class because i yeah. had to i had to watch the state of the union one year and write down who the, the <laughs> who was missing survivor yeah, yeah. Like, it was like i didn't Secretary know that. Of the interior or it something. makes
1: total sense and this uh, guy was hud mm-hmm. you know, like tom kirkman this character he was hud so that's why he wasn't there um but can i just say one thing really quickly of course before we end this please do um teachers right now are like we're really struggling and this has been a super emotional time i we getting a little choked up just talking right now it's been hard like this coronavirus stuff has been really difficult and i've been talking to my coworkers and my friends and like we're all sort of struggling because this is the sweet spot of the school year like this is what it's all about like may you know like it's, it's prom, it's graduation, it's all of our things. But like March and April April is like it's my favorite time. So like first of all, if any of my students listen, which I know some of them do, I hope you know that we all miss you. And that we hope you're taking care of yourself. But also for like other teachers and for parents who are being teachers for the first times because they're home with their kids and they're struggling with devices and internet and everything else. Like I we should all be on the same team. We should all be trying to do the best for, you know, our kids. We should all be trying to take care of them. Um, We're trying to provide meaningful learning so that the gap to next year is as small as possible. Um, We're not trying to, you know, and I say we because I see a lot of people I know posting about their frustrations. And I can only imagine how hard it would be with multiple kids at home to try to work and teach them all at the same time. Um, But we're all like doing our best out here. And I think that's all we can ask. And so if you're a teacher, you should be. Teaching with the most kindness and compassion that you've ever had and forgiveness. Keep being the heroes that you are. And if you're a parent, man, you're doing a great job. And we miss you and we hope you're back soon. I want to see my kids again. I want to see my seniors before they go. So I hope we can all be healthy. I hope we all stay home where we belong right now. Stay home and be healthy. So. Is that
0: it? Thanks for listening. It is not the fashion to see the lady, the epilogue. But it's no more unhandsome than to see the lord, the prologue. If it be true that good wine needs no bush, is true that a good play needs no epilogue. Yet to good wine they do use good bushes, and good plays prove the better by the help of good epilogues. What a case am I in, then, that am neither a good epilogue, nor cannot insinuate with you in behalf of a good play. I am not furnished like a beggar, therefore to beg will not become me. My way is to conjure you, and I'll begin with the women." I charge you, O women, for the love you bear to men, to like as much of this play as please you. And I charge you, O men, for the love you bear to women, as I perceive by your simpering, none of you hates them, that between you and the women the play may please. If I were a woman, I would kiss as many of you as had beards that please me, complexions that liked me, and breaths that I defied not. And I am sure as many as have good beards or good faces or sweet breaths will, for my kind offer, When I make curtsy, bid me farewell.
1: thanks for supporting 16 to 1 we're trying to grow our audience so please check us out at 16to1.com all spelled out and tell your friends about the show on our website you can find links to follow us on social media
0: an archive of all our old episodes and a contact form where you can get in touch thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next show
1: so i've officially reached that level of boredom in my quarantine